Um, our scripture reading for tonight is Romans 15, verse 4. Just one verse. Um, for whatever was written in former days is written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good evening, y'all. Thank you, sister, for the good evening. Um, all right, let me put this down. Uh, I'm Jason, and I'm one of the pastors here at the house. I'm super grateful uh, to be with you tonight. Um, if it's your first time here, would you raise your hand real quick? Wow, that's awesome. That's awesome. Oh, my gosh. Um, thank you so much for coming out tonight. Uh, I, can't see, I can't see very much, but I hope to get to meet some of you. Um, after this, I hope that's not like some of you I don't hope to meet, but anyway. Okay. Um, hey, Kirsten said this early on. Our, our hope at the house is that you discover real life in Jesus Christ. I know, and I, I try to spend a little bit of time at the beginning of each school year um, just leveling with this. I know that a lot of you have a lot of decisions you're making right now at the beginning of a school year. Like what organizations to be involved with, um, what majors to take, um, who to spend time with, who to hang out with. And I don't want you to have to guess what we're about. I feel like that's really unkind to try to have to read between the lines and figure out agendas and that kind of thing. So I want you to make wise and discerning decisions about how you organize your time and what you do with it. And so if you don't know, I don't know what decisions you ought to make, but I think the best thing I can do is tell you what we're about. Um, the House is a nonprofit organization in Chattanooga. We are interdenominational. Um, we exist only in this city for college age people of this city. There is no sort of other houses, so to speak, in that regard. And basically, what that means is that we work with a lot of different local churches in Chattanooga, thousands of diverse Christians. On our staff, we're members of different churches in town. We believe that the kingdom of God is expansive and that there are many, many faithful local churches in the city of Chattanooga. And we are not here to get you connected with a particular church, though I do hope you get connected with a local church over your time in college. And we are not here in order that you all become pastors, although I do hope some of you uh, do that. Um, with all of the things that we invite you to, there are some events on the website for tonight, that order of worship, which you're going to need for this sermon, I promise. Um, and some of you got it on a little form walking in. Again, it's the houseutc.org slash worship. Uh, that'll kind of give you stuff throughout the rest of the night. Um, th there's like announcements at the top. There's things we'll invite you to all semester. Uh, but our, our sort of bedrock hope isn't that you come to or go to one of our events. That's not what we're about. Our hope is that you discover real life in Jesus Christ. I want you to become Christians, looking like Jesus that you find him to be a trustworthy king, that you know him to be the one who saves you, that you discover in him that you are loved to the uttermost, that you find abundant life in him, and that you go out from here, and that you lead in various aspects of life on the college campus, that you're agents of reconciliation in your families, that you study and work like a son or daughter of the God Most High, that you discovering real life in him becomes someone that others see Jesus in. You, friend, are made in the image of God. Every single one of you in this room is made in the image of God. You were brought into the cosmos because the God who made everything decided to make you. He literally loved you into existence. And our whole leadership team would be overjoyed to get to discover some of the wonder that he has made when he made you. And so you can expect us to honor you and to treat you with dignity every time we're with you. Bottom line is I'm just thankful you're here. Thanks will be with you, honored. Uh, let's pray. Um, Father, would your Holy Spirit come right now 
You've been here the whole time. But we ask you to come in a fresh way that the words of my mouth and that the meditations and the thoughts of each one of us here would be holy, would be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. There are a number of ways to sum up the whole story of the Bible. And one of them is to say that God made you in order to be with you. The Bible does not start with a story of evil or sin. It starts with the Almighty God making a people that He loves and He wants to share His creation with. That's where it begins. There is a story which unpacks why we see evil and suffering in this world, but that's not how it starts. And somewhere within the past 20 years or so, God in His infinite wisdom made you. And the whole of the biblical story swells to tell us that He intends to share everything that He has made with you. You are loved by Him. You were created by Him. And He is at work to redeem you from everything which would keep you from Him. A good way to sum up the entire biblical story is to see that it's a story of God on mission to be with you. This is what Jesus Christ is about. God with us in order that we might be with Him. And we'll talk about how God addresses evil and suffering, but first things first, God wants to be with you. So much of the social media and the marketing world that swims around us and that we interact with works because you and I actually feel when we get quiet and when we're alone that we're on the outside of something that we want to be on the inside of. Friendship, justice, security, Love, we want in, we're desperate, because no matter how hard we try, it often feels like we're left out, and so marketers come at us. We keep scrolling. The good news, according to Jesus, is that you don't have to convince God to let you in. You're already in with him. Jesus has come to proclaim good news to the poor, liberty to the captive, sight to the blind, food for the hungry, comfort to those who are mourning, healing for the sick, welcome to the stranger, to any who would have him, there is good news, he will have you. This is one way of summarizing what the whole story of the Bible is about. Well, this semester, we're going to be preaching through the book of Leviticus. Why, if, you, if we want you to discover real life in Jesus Christ, are we looking at Leviticus? That is my challenge tonight for you. When I've told people that I'm preaching through Leviticus, most people have laughed and like sort of tapped me on the shoulder and be like, good luck. You know, uh, that's what most people have said. Many people have just never heard of it. What's that? One person, I said, Leviticus. And they said, why? Um, uh, my favorite response was from an alumni a couple weeks ago. I was at a coffee shop in town working. I had some like note cards out and laptop up and she came up and she said, what are you working on? And I said, a sermon series for the house on Tuesday nights. And she said, oh, what are you preaching on? And I said, Leviticus. And she went, ew. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, look, y'all are on a college campus, which means uh, that you can hang with me with some intellectual stuff, yeah? I heard a maybe from the bleachers. I heard a maybe. Uh, okay, tonight is going to be a little bit more academic, okay, but it's going to help set us up for the rest of the semester. 
Okay, we only read one Bible verse for our scripture tonight, but we're going to hit almost 20% of the books of the Bible. Okay, you think you can hang with me? Can you hang with me? All right, you're going to need some notes. Some of you got some paper walking in from the welcome team. You can take some notes. The website thing's there. Here we go. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament tells us that everything in the Old Testament was written for our instruction. That all of the scriptures are from God and useful for training and for equipping us in righteousness. In Galatians chapter 3, Paul tells us that the old law, this Old Testament law and these law codes and all these things, lead us to Jesus. Jesus claims not that he came to abolish all that, but that he came to fulfill the promises of the Old Testament. And when asked about the greatest features of his kingdom people, he quotes from Leviticus and from Exodus and Deuteronomy. One of the things he says is, love your neighbors as yourselves. And that's from Leviticus. He understood prophecies of the Old Testament as referring to him, even identifying his mission as word for word coming out of the mouth of Isaiah the prophet. And remember, what we call the Old Testament as Christians was Jesus' Bible growing up. The Father, he reveals to the people around him. God that he talks about to people around him is it's the one he's preaching on out of the Old Testament. The ethics and the way of life that he lives and teaches are putting on display the Old Testament ethics and way of life. What you see in Jesus is a faithful Old Testament Israelite on display. If you look at Jesus and you go, he is lovely. Some of you don't, maybe. But if you look at Jesus, actually however you look at Jesus, what you're seeing is an Old Testament faithful Jewish man living the life that God has called his people to live. To press it even further, after the resurrection, we see Jesus lead a Bible study, Luke 24, showing how from Genesis all the way through Malachi, the beginning to the end of what we would call the Old Testament, all these stories point to him. And in John chapter 5, he specifically says, all of the scriptures testify about him. In other words, the whole Bible is about Jesus. Which means if I want to talk to you about Jesus, I can kind of do it from any book of the Bible, which brings up the question again, why Leviticus? Okay, okay, you with me so far? You guys okay? All right. There's a particular set of challenges in preaching through Leviticus. Some of you don't know these things, and I, I want to inform you about them, okay? It's a book that atheists and agnostics love to throw at Christians, it's a book that folks in their 20s quote as an accessory to deconstruct their faith. It's a book, quite frankly, that many Christians skip or skim or are afraid to read. If you don't know much about Leviticus, one scholar calls it a priestly tech manual. I don't think that's a good sales pitch. Literally, one chapter of Leviticus has 59 straight verses on various kinds of skin diseases and what you're supposed to do about them. One-third of the book is strictly dealing with animal sacrifices. This is about Jesus? Yes. For many people, Leviticus just seems kind of outdated at best or at worst, so out of touch with our ethical and societal norms today that it can actually seem unethical. It's a cross-cultural, 
3,500-year-old book of laws that does not seem to have much to do with our life today. Leviticus is hard for a lot of people. But as a ministry, we generally like to square our shoulders to hard things. Now, there's a chance, uh, honestly, that by the end of the semester, I'm going to decide to never preach through Leviticus again. But on the other hand, all summer, I've had just this thought kind of nagging at me. If you can discover the good news of the kingdom of God in the pages of Leviticus, if you can encounter the grace and truth and love we see in Jesus in the pages of Leviticus, if you can see that God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow in the pages of Leviticus, as my son would say while playing Minecraft, let's go. <laughs> so we're going to talk about Leviticus because it's a good challenge for us to mine what God has in store for us in these pages, okay? All scripture is breathed out by God and useful for teaching and training us in, in righteousness. Leviticus is not very fun to read. I'm telling you, it's just not fun to read, okay? It is a blast to study. On the webpage for tonight, I've actually listed a bunch of resources that I've been studying to prepare for the sermon series. I don't actually think any of you are going to read them. You have enough of your own reading. But, but some of you don't know me at all, and it might be helpful for you to know some of what I'm reading and where I'm getting some of my thoughts from. Does that make sense? Like, I just want to kind of show those to you. Like, I don't have original thoughts. These are all just other Christians I'm listening to and talking with and spending time with the Lord in the scriptures and whatever. Anybody who has something new is probably a heretic. So um, let's keep going. Okay, there, that's another introduction to me. There you go. Okay, um, except for Jesus, but he was talking about old things too. Okay, uh, I'm going to list um, th those resources also on our podcast uh, sort of show for the thing. So if anybody, because we update that worship page every week. And so if somebody's listening to this later, you can grab it there. Um, I'll put those resources there. Um, if you are reading through Leviticus this semester, I really am sorry for how hard it is. I really am. Um, but I, I would actually love to talk to you about it. And any question is fine. There, there's like, there isn't a question that's off limits. If you're embarrassed about a question, there's a lot of stuff in there that's kind of interesting. Um, just know that I'm, I'm really just going to be impressed that you're even reading Leviticus. Uh, and I'll have so much respect for you because you're trying to engage the scriptures rather than just take my word for everything. So if you want to talk about any of this, I'd love to talk to you about it. Okay? Um, uh, these aren't supposed to be announced yet, but we're going to have some drop-in studies for men and women. And they'll be going through Hebrews, which probably covers a lot of Leviticus too. So... Anyway, you might be able to get it that way. But, um, but we're also going to look at Leviticus. So some of it's just because it's really challenging for us, and I want to see if we can't discover Jesus and his kingdom in a good way through those pages. But we're also going to look at it because we actually just have so much to freaking learn from other cultures and the way God has worked through them. Friends, your generation in particular, it's so much better than mine at learning from people who are not like you. And I want you to bring that to the table as we preach through Leviticus. How we treat animals in our culture, what we do with our resources, how we treat the land, how we organize our time. It's Tuesday, and at our time of prayer before Tuesday night, if you ever want to come pray with us, we pray at 7.20 in here for the night. Uh, literally, it's Tuesday, and somebody mentioned, everybody's feeling overwhelmed already. We're like, second day of school. How we organize our time, our sexual norms, our treatment of refugees, these and more are discussed in the pages of Leviticus, and we are not so virtuous in these areas that we have nothing to learn about from somebody else. It's a good challenge for our faith, and we can learn much about how to live today from how God was leading the Israelites in Leviticus. But there's another reason to look at Leviticus as we try to discover real life in Jesus Christ. 
Here's where you got to put your thinking caps on. The first five books of the Bible are a kind of set. They're referred to by different names, those first five books. The Pentateuch is a popular name. The Law of Moses is a way that you might see it often in the pages of the New Testament. Or the Torah, or the Torah, if you want to be um, correct. Uh, Each of those names refers to this kind of collection of books at the beginning of the Bible. Pentateuch literally means five books. That's what it means. They were also called the Law of Moses because on one hand, Moses is a central figure in four of the five books. And on the other hand, it's thought that these stories were largely given and collected while Moses was alive and leading the people of Israel. So there's the Pentateuch, there's the Law of Moses, and then there's the Torah. And Torah, which is the other name for this collection, means teaching. That's what the word means, teaching teaching. All of this, these five books, the people of God for generations have looked at these and said, this is, this is teaching for us. It's intended to teach us something. Christians believe that these stories and these laws were given for a particular people at a particular time and place, but also that they were collected and passed down because there's things we can learn from like from in, in those stories about who God is, who we are, and how he's called us to live in this world. Torah means teaching, which begs a question, what is the Torah teaching? What are the first five books of the Bible about? And for our purposes tonight, I want to uh, simply point you to the structure of the Torah which maybe isn't something you're used to if you've only ever really looked at individual Bible verses. The Bible originally did not have verse numbers that was added way later for the sake of preaching and teaching and like daily prayers and it's really helpful for recalling things. But each book of the the Torah was just originally a scroll. It just, this is not in my notes, forgive me, pray for all of us as I go off notes. But, um, you know, when you read things like holy, 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 one of the reasons it's said three times, first of all, the Jewish people just love saying things three times. It means the fullness of a thing when it happens. But it's sort of the equivalent of like an exclamation mark. Because they didn't have that kind of punctuation. It didn't have verse numbers like we know it and that kind of thing. Like there was a, people didn't read one verse at a time. They read passages large themes and sections. And many of us have not been trained to read the Bible that way. We'll read like one little verse not having any clue what like Paul's letter to the Ephesians was about, but we really know what Ephesians 3.21 says. You know? And it's okay, but this is a little bit of a different way of thinking about it. I want you to think about the structure of the Torah tonight. Because there's an organization to these first five books and it points us to something. I put some examples on that Order of Worship website just so you could visually get a glimpse of a couple of examples of what I'm talking about. But the Torah is organized around a center. And this is a regular practice in the ancient Near East. Commonly, the most important thing was found in the center of a story in the ancient Near East. In the middle. And the first five books of the Bible are arranged around a middle. And y'all probably know how rhyming structures can be communicated with letters, right? Like a limerick. It's like A-A-B-B-A. Is that right? Is that limerick? I think that's limerick. Okay. Or like a four-sentence like, rhyme thing often goes like A-B-C-B. That's like a really common rhyme structure for four. You guys see that? Like letters? Ma- Is that cool? That's not intended to be confusing. Okay. I, I don't... I'm more comfortable with the Bible than poetry. Okay, here we go. Um, Well, in the ancient Near Eastern world, a lot of stories and songs and poems were arranged with ideas and stories that formed a pattern like A, B, C, 
B-A. Do you see that? A-A, B-B, C in the middle. You could stretch that out with like four, seven or 14 on, on either side, you know? Um, I don't know if this is in my notes, but like in Leviticus, for example, which this is getting ahead in this talk, but there are actually 37 different sayings in Leviticus, and the central one is what we're going to be landing on tonight, and it's 18, and there's 17 sayings on either side of it. Like, it kind of maps out. This is very, very common in ancient Near Eastern story practices and storytelling devices. They're intended to sort of be meditated on and, and to have you kind of circle around it and come back to the middle over and over and over again. There's a word for it. It's called chiasm, C-H-A-I-S-M, uh, I think, maybe I-A, um, with ideas on the outside mirroring each other and kind of working inward with matching sets complementary sets. They're not exactly the same, but they're complementary until you have something standing alone in the middle. And in the Torah, Leviticus is in the middle. Everything from word counts to narrative kind of stops and starts and locations to specific key words, tons of different patterns all point to Leviticus. Commentary after commentary after commentary, religious scholar after religious scholar after religious scholar keeps reflecting on how everything keeps bending into Leviticus and they all have different ways of talking about it, all concluding similar ideas. Leviticus is being pointed to. L. Michael Morales talks specifically about how it looks like the entire Old Testament narrative is moving from Genesis, ascending, Genesis 12 really, and ascending this mountain hitting Leviticus and then descending the mountain on the way back down before you get to the book of Joshua and the, and the people of God entering the promised land. There are these complementary ideas centering on Leviticus. The whole book even can be seen as a kind of chiasm. The book ends and begins with rituals. If you look at the book of Leviticus, rituals in the front, rituals in the back. Those are the bookends. And just inside there, you have a bunch of rules for priests on both sides. And then inside that, you have cleanliness and holiness laws. And then right there in the middle is a section which sits all on its own. And do you know what that section is about? What is at the center of the center of the center of the Torah? The very heart of what the first five books of the Bible point to. It's Leviticus chapter 16, and it's all about atonement. The first five books of the Bible are all bending in or, or ascending and descent, ascending to and descending from this, this story, this chapter on atonement. Literally, the first five books of the Bible are structured around one chapter in a way, which is atonement, which is a big word meaning being one with God. A lot of people take the English word and, and think of it, break it, atonement down into at one mint because it's like a helpful mnemonic device to remember what it means. To be at one with God. Atonement is about being one with God, being with God. Atonement is about starting over in Eden with God. Atonement is about the people of God experiencing abundant life in his presence. That's what the first five books of the Bible are about. The center of the center of the center of the Torah is about God wanting the people that he made to be with him in new abundant life. And Jesus says that in him, who says that in him is abundant life, looks at these scriptures and he says, yeah, all those are about me. You might say, Leviticus sure seems like it's about a bunch of laws. Over the semester, I will contend with you 
that Leviticus is about abundant life with God. And this is precisely what Jesus said he's about. This series is called The Gospel According to Leviticus. Gospel means good news. Christians sometimes, all of us do. We have habits of using words we don't explain to people. Um, Gospel just means good news. Hopefully, Christian, every time we talk about Jesus, every time we slap a fish on something, uh, I hope people think, wow, that's really good news that they're sharing and not something else. Gospel means good news. And all semester long, we're going to be looking at how Leviticus can give us incredible news about who God is, who we are, and what it looks like to live with him now and forever. Each Tuesday after the sermon, we're going to take a minute of silence, and we're going to pray together. Uh, It's really important just to have a little space to connect the dots. It's like attend to what you're thinking, what you're feeling, uh, in response to what you've just heard. Um, We'll always try to give a governing question or a kind of prompt, um, but, but it's okay for you to just breathe and pray however you feel led, or just sit there quietly, that's okay. Here's your prompt for tonight. I'm arguing tonight that the God of the universe wants to be with you, that his son, the whole of the scriptures, and that God's people throughout history have testified to this. God wants to be with you. He wants to belong to you. He wants you to belong to him. He desires that. He loves you. He likes you. He's calling you to himself because he wants to be with you. The good news is that God wants to be with you. Just take a minute, 60 seconds, and I want you to respond to that claim, that truth, just in silent prayer meditation, and then I'll I'll close us in corporate prayer. God wants to be with you. Father, send your spirit now. Help us believe it's true, that you want to be with us. And what Dawson and Matt were saying earlier is true. There's nothing too small or too big for you. Your scriptures tell us that you stand at the door and knock. That you move toward us before we ever move toward you. Pray for my friends in the room tonight that they would say yes to you. Help us all to say yes to you. And let us, Lord, experience abundant life and be like you in the world that others might experience it in and through us too. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.